Welcome to Liberty Station. I'm Bryce Eddy, your host, and today I've got a uh, terrific guest uh, who has written a very important book, and I'm excited to talk to her, and that's Stephanie Mayer. Stephanie, how are you? I'm great. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I'm I'm uh, I'm happy to have you on because you know we are in the uh, most trying and crazy of times, at least in what most anyone um, in you know modern times can remember. And we just saw um, a little bit ago the raid on Donald Trump's private residence, um, you know, under the guise of uh, documents uh, issue, and um, we're seeing more of this, I believe, to come, um, especially as our enemies, um, and I'd say the enemies of liberty, the enemies of freedom, the e enemies of Christ are um, amping up to do more. And, uh, and I think the um, uh, times are going to be very, very dark. And so what you have with your book, which is uh, The Righteous Fight, got it right here, um, Reclaiming the Soul of America, um, I think, has a really important message for Christians right now, and so I'm excited to talk to you a little bit. I'm going to do something that I don't normally do, which is I'm going to read a couple of the paragraphs on the back, because I think it's very powerfully written, and, um, and then let's launch into it. So uh, reading from the back of the book, America is locked in a spiritual battle of the ages. Dark forces are emboldened and moving swiftly through our culture, spreading irrational fears, shredding our Bill of Rights, distorting science, destroying objective truth, rewriting history, and indoctrinating our children. As the Biden administration dismantles our republic with breathtaking speed, many Americans are battle-weary and losing hope. But if a great awakening is to come, we must confront this culture of Marxist progressive ideology invading every institution and community. Now is not the time for passive Christianity and prayer without action. We've moved beyond the seasons of sowing into the season of harvest, and you are not a spectator. Every Christian has a role to play. I think that was wonderfully written and a great summary of what's happening here. So I was excited just in reading the back of the book when um, our mutual friend Rick Preddy gave me uh, a copy, and I just thought, oh, this is wonderful. I've got to have her on. And he goes, no, no, read the book. I go, I will. But just that alone, I'm like, yes, I want to have her on. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. It was a book that I had not intended to write, actually, and I was um, rather stubborn in trying to put it off somewhere around um, – Late 2021, I was compiling a file of scathing, sarcastic wit about the terrible policies that the uh, would-be Biden administration, um, actually, this was, sorry, I said 2021, but it was 2020, uh, ahead of the election, and I was, I was going to write a book about how terrible his policies would be, and uh, if he won, then it was going to be about how terrible his policies were, based on what he was saying. Um, and God just kept putting it on my heart that, you know, that's cute, but I need you to write this right now. Uh, and I said, oh, that's that's a neat idea. I'll make a nice file and I'll put it over here and I'll keep entertaining myself. And um, it went on like that for a couple months until you know how that is. When God convicts you of something, he keeps putting the messages in front of you until you just uh, hopefully are obedient and, uh, and that's what I was. I just said, wow, this is, so this is really important and it's powerful and um, it needs to be written. So that's what got me focused. And as soon as I got focused and I was obedient to that, all the roadblocks cleared. I mean, my, my family was supportive. There were not um, overly uh, time intensive calls on my attention anywhere else. Uh, my nights and weekends were taken up with this and everyone was helpful in, in making sure that it happened. So I'm glad that we're able to look at that book today and really, I almost had to reread it myself to see what was in it, uh, <laughs> which is an interesting experience when that happens as a writer. But I think there's a lot in there that we can visit and revisit as we um, unfortunately continue in this important battle. Yeah, well, what I what I was impressed um, with, and and what I think about all the time, and why I think your message is so important, is that 
a lot of Christians all over this country think that we're in this like just pendulum swinging back and forth kind of a thing, and we're going to return to some more sense of normalcy. In fact, a lot of people who voted for Biden thought that that's what they were doing. You know, let's hey, let's go back a few years to the uh, you know Barack Obama administration, and let's just relax a lot of this vit- vitriol. And if we get Donald Trump out of there, you know, then we won't be so divided. And and that was a lot of the thinking, sadly, of a lot of believers. And and we have learned very quickly that that is not the case. And those of us that were savvy to the you know ways of the enemy and seeing. Um, you know, kind of a higher level of what's been going on, knew that that wasn't going to be the case, and here we are. Yeah, it's a terrible time to be right, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I'd much rather be wrong. This is something, this is the reason that I, besides uh, praying every day for God to exact his will, work through me for his will on earth, as opposed to my own will, because what do I know? Um, Besides that, the second thing that I pray for the most above anything is discernment. And I think part of the issue is it's the most pious among us and sometimes the best, most compassionate Christians who can sometimes be the most naive because they want to assume the best in people, which is nice. But we do live in a fallen world, and there are people who, who don't have good intentions. So back in the days... I don't know how far back we could even go to to say this was really purely true, but I think there was a time in our country when you did have a a unity between Christian and secular people alike in the United States where we could all agree on some basic principles of right and wrong, and those were rooted in the Ten Commandments even for people who didn't realize it, right? Don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. Uh, these were these were things we all agreed on. These were the Ten Commandments were posted in in our courts. Um, you know, in God we trust was on our money and so forth. Um, and we also had a basic belief in the foundations of of what constituted reality. So, just about anybody from any walk of life, any political persuasion, uh, and and even whether it was um, corporate corporate raiders or it was hippies who wanted to go live on a on a commune somewhere um everyone acknowledged that yeah there's men and women that's pretty much it why are we even having this conversation uh they acknowledged that even if they didn't want to be married or or live in a relationship that was faithful the nuclear family was the basic unit of our country and that if you wanted to have children you probably were you know should get married uh so we're in a we're in a time now where moral relativism moral relativism is really taken over and and so you can't assume that people in power necessarily have the best interests of america in mind they might have a different vision altogether and that's the part i think where some christians don't take that step back they they assume good intent on the part of anyone who's speaking from a pulpit and says, elect me and I'll make things better. You have to then ask them, okay, well, define better, and then and then I'll make a decision. But that's the place you really need to start is with discernment. Yeah, amen. Yeah, I mean, when Barack Obama said we're going to fundamentally transform America, you know, a lot of people didn't believe him or, or assumed that he meant for the better. Um, and and the fact is, is you're right. If you went back 25 years or even 10 years and said that we would be fighting against people who were saying that men could get pregnant, um, you know, if you said any of those uh, crazy things, most most everyone would dismiss you and think, oh, yeah, come on, give it a break. But Christians certainly would. You know, Christians um, who know better in the sense that, that the depths of depravity that sin could lead us to, Christians who are supposed to understand that would have gone, oh, come on, you're talking crazy. No, you know, uh, we're never going to get to that point. Yeah, I think part of that is also a failure to acknowledge that the devil doesn't come with a sign on his forehead that says, hi, evil's here, please step aside and let me take over. The, the devil is very beguiling, and he always uses a kernel of truth to play upon what we acknowledge and believe in, right? Yeah. So if you care for people, he's going to, he's going to, he's a great messenger. I mean, the messaging is going to be, here's the more compassionate route, right? Socialism and right. communism is more compassionate for more people. That's going to be the message. 
so again, I think Christians have have become naive to some extent, and I say this with love. You know, it's a family yeah. conversation. That's why in my book I said this is a clarion call to Christians uh, to to say, look, we need to have a sit down, and we have to come to an understanding that prayer is a verb. You know, my grandmother used to say, when you pray, move your feet. Prayer without works is is really dead, right? So prayer yeah. and intercession is important, but that is the first step of a process that God uses to create change in this earthly world. He To manifest the spiritual in the physical, God works through us. And you can see examples of this all over the Bible. He, Jesus could have could have come to earth and waved his hands and created miracles without a single human being involved. But you can see time and time again, from the time he, he used the boy's five loaves to feed thousands, he didn't need the boy's five loaves. I mean, surely we're all not thinking that, right? He, he uses our gifts and talents that God put in us to partner with us to create change. So if we're praying as though we're just wishing, then the prayer is incomplete. The prayer is actually impotent because God hears it, but we're not willing to stand up. So you have to first get on your knees and then you have to get on your feet because God's gonna work through us. And I think that's something that we as Christians have um, seated that responsibility of stewardship for our freedoms. And that's why we're, we're in the situation we're in, which is unfortunate, but it, you know, maybe it had to happen, right? God can use any any bad thing for opportunity to to exact His will. So, you know, let's let's go with where we are. Let's acknowledge where we are, and and understand what happened. It's important to understand history, and then you have to understand history in order to recognize it happening now and understand when you're being manipulated and discern God's truth from humanism. So in order to do that, we have to first understand history, but then we have to know what to do. So Christians do have, um, we have some work to do, but that's where I wrote the book. So. Yeah, well, I, I think you do a good job of laying that out. So for, for our audience, um, give us a little bit of your background and I know you're a you're a speaker and you're you know running around out there doing a lot of hard work but uh tell us how you came to you know write the book and you know give us a quick little bio sure yeah um I'm from Florida and I cut my teeth on Florida politics and I worked for the Republican Party of Florida and I was on the Victory 2000 campaign and that crazy recount and ballot inspection and you were and all the hanging things. chads I was. I was one of those people staring at those chads. Um, have a few on my shelf, as a matter of fact. But uh, so I, so I kind of learned about politics through this dynamic of what I call football team mentality. You know, our side's better than your side. And there's a, a blind loyalty there that uh, certainly you can't blame either side for trying to garner that loyalty. But we need to move past that. Uh, just to finish up that, I, so, so then I had an opportunity after the 2000 elections to go to Cambodia and train women who were running for parliament there. And these were, that was very interesting. It was rather transformative for me. These were women who, some were in the royal family and were very politically sophisticated. Some were already in the parliament. And there were women from villages because of the quota uh, who didn't even know why they were in that room. Their husbands had put their name on the on the ballot and they didn't really know what they were doing there. So I was training them how to have campaigns, you know, how to how to garner uh, votes and support and so forth and have platforms. Um, I knew when I did that, that I wanted to do that for the rest of my life, which was really talking to people in a way that ignites this fire that's already in them and maybe they don't know they have it, which is the desire to have a say and have agency over your life and who governs you. Freedom is something that is inherent in all of us, whether it's given to us, whether we're allowed to express it or not. If Even people who are sitting in a prison cell know that freedom is really the natural state of every human being, and with freedom comes responsibility, right? They, they never go out without the other and consequences. And so um, I, I found that to be a very interesting uh, journey, and I spent the majority of my career living in other countries: Afghanistan, Tajikistan, uh, Cambodia, Haiti, all, all over the Middle East, 
um, really learning a lot about other cultures and political systems and what makes people think the way they do. And it gave me a great appreciation and understanding for why America is an exceptional country. It, that is not a statement that is mired in arrogance by any means. It's misunderstood when people think that, that we're just saying we're better than everyone else. It's not that at all. You know, God made Israel because he loved people and he wanted a relationship with them. But people made the United States because they loved God and they wanted to, a relationship with God to say, we are dedicating this ground to your service. Use us, Lord, right, in, in your will on earth. And so from the moment that that happened with the Mayflower Compact and all the way through the founders, um, you know, using ideas from Montesquieu and the Magna Carta and all these places where people were thinking about freedom but couldn't quite get there, the United States did. And we became the stewards of liberty for the rest of the world from that moment on. And we've ceded that responsibility, right? That's where the book yep. really starts is to say, we ceded as Christians that responsibility as stewards for God's good governance because God's vision for governance is enshrouded in freedom and inherent rights. It's enshrouded in personal dignity. But we've traded dignity for diversity and we've traded self-worth for self-righteousness. And we need to get back to this place of understanding what makes us whole as a nation and as individuals. And we're not gonna do it without God. And when Amen. I say that, I just wanna add a little caveat. I'm talking about a country that has room for people who are atheist, room for people who are Christian and everywhere in between, because that's, you have to have a country that is founded on God's principles and that necessarily allows everybody in the tent, because if you don't allow everybody in the tent, you can't even have the conversation to win their hearts and minds in the first place. Right. And God wants a relationship with all of us, which is why he allows free will and free choice, so we can come to him of our own volition. Yeah, well, what you just said is typically what we would hear from a Christian nationalist who wants a theocratic dictatorship and wants to take over <laughs> That's, uh, you know, of course, what what we're yeah. being um, accused of when we yeah. say that we want to have a Christian nation. And first, they forget that we were a Christian nation, you know, and of course, they want to erase that. Our opponents want to yeah. pretend otherwise. They want to pretend that, no, our founding fathers were not rooted in Scripture. Um, not all of them were, were um, you know, a stalwart believers, but all of them had the underpinnings of a Judeo-Christian system and those values, and all of them, uh, as imperfect as they were, recognized those foundational things and recognized that that's what brings prosperity and freedom and liberty and all of that. And so you have to dismiss that if you are a uh, cowardly Marxist who would like to uh, run uh, things from a tyrannical fashion. You have to dismiss all that. You have to pretend that that did not exist. You have to pretend that we aren't also prosperous, which is a funny kind of wild thing that they have really doubled down on in the last few years is that uh, America is a terrible place to live, and we are terrible to our people, and and no, we're not prosperous. Oh, you think America is good? You know, they want to push back on that because they have to dismantle all of that and change the narrative in order to bring about what they'd like to see. Yeah, you know, a couple of interesting points on that. I, I mentioned in the book, you know, what kind of government would God have if you know what what is God's politics, right? And I and I go through that. Right? There are there are some Christians who point to the Bible and say, well, Jesus was obviously a socialist, right? He didn't want yeah. material things, and 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 they lay out all these arguments for for why he was a socialist, which is which is incorrect. Um, yeah. But but you can you know you can have these conversations respectfully and and make your points, right? So no, God, Jesus wasn't a socialist. Uh, God is definitely a freedom-oriented, pro-personal agency uh, God. He wants us all to explore the gifts and talents that he instilled in us, to create value in the world, and to make our own decisions to come to him. Hopefully, 
to come to him, right? And and come to him of our own mind. It's interesting though, because we, again, Christians have a little bit of responsibility for this argument that we are, uh, that we want a theocracy and we want to shove the Bible down everyone's throats. And the reason, part of the reason is, is when people are passionate, they get very preachy, right? And mm-hmm. sometimes that combined with anger can, can seem like we want to force people to believe in, you know, what we believe. The truth is the real truth. And this is why it's so clever because everything is turned on its head. The real truth is for communism to thrive, God has got to go because the United States of America was founded on the idea that your God, your rights come from God and not from any man or government. So communism says the state is the highest authority. Well, if the state's going to be the highest authority, God's got to go. And that's why there's atheism and communism. There's no room for for God. The right. opposite, however, is true if you are Christian and you acknowledge a representative republic that allows room for all and that the way we're going to change things is not by dictatorial policies from the federal government that force you to be a certain way. We're going to change things by doing what Jesus did, the original grassroots organizer. We're going to go out from out of our comfort zones. We're going to meet people where they are in the public places and secular spaces of the country, and we're going to win hearts and minds. That is how you bring people to your side. You don't do it through force. So it's interesting because um, I believe it was Ludwig von Mises, an Austrian economist, who said that politicians and political parties are like corks in a stream. You can change out the corks, right? You've got red corks and blue corks going down the stream. And you can say, well, I want all blue corks or no, I like my party. I want all red corks. And you can do that, but nothing will ever change because they're all still going in the same direction down the stream. And to a very large extent, that's true. And that's why I tell a lot of Christians who get very excited about political parties and and the fight just to win at almost all costs without really deciding about policies based on your principles, which are unchanging. I say, listen, I don't want to replace the top-down policies of the progressive left with the top-down policies of the far right because that's not going to help anything. In four years, we'll be right back where we started. You have to make decisions based on principles, and God's principles are timeless. So that's the best way to analyze issues. Yeah, that's great. Um, You know, going back to some of the the thoughts, it's interesting. um, You look at, uh, they they believe that we are uh, equivalent to the convert or die mentality. And yet, on the left, that is essentially all of the things that they are pushing right now is that convert or die. Um, they do not have room for Christians. Um, there's, there's a um, that's the distinct reason why they have, for many years, said, "Hey, you keep your faith private, and your faith needs to stay, you know, in your home, and it can't come into the public square. And if you're a politician, don't you be bringing your Christian faith in here. You know, they've played that game, and yet they are the most religiously fervent people when it comes to their ends, their aims. I mean, just, you know, talk to a militant vegan. Um, you know, they'd, they'd like to see us die rather than eat meat. I mean, that you know, they, they believe that, that um, you know, we are a great evil, those of us that uh, like a steak. Um, now, not all, of course, but, but, there, but there is a distinct religious cult surrounding a lot of these things environmentalism, um, all, all of them are different manifestations of this same thing. The people who are calling Jesus a socialist will use the examples of, you know, how he and his disciples behaved with one another in sharing, uh, you know, all that they had and his, like, you know, sell everything and follow me, you know, thoughts. But what they seem to forget is the, that that was all voluntary, 
And what they are espousing is that, oh no, I as the state representative are going to come into your home, take your things, and give it to those less fortunate, which is the exact opposite of what Jesus tells us to do. And I am out of my mind because I've sat with modern young, of course, pastors that that do believe that socialism is the highest order and Jesus would have been promoting it. Oh, yeah, that is so that is so sad, right? That is so sad and that's why we have to these kind of people need us more than ever. That's why we need to keep these kinds of conversations going. Um <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there in what you said. First of all, you really nailed it that there religion religion is alive and well in the country. And, yeah. and when I say that, I, I say this in the, in the book, too, is I, I'm talking about God, gods with a lowercase g, that right. people have a need to fill their soul. And if you don't fill your soul with God's truth, the one and only living God who created the universe and everything there is, you will fill your soul with some other God and it will be uh, earthly. And you're absolutely right. This whole climate alarmism thing. Uh, the veganism thing, social justice, any hyphenated justice, right? They all call it climate justice, social COVID. justice. COVID These became all, its right? own little religion. Medical justice. Yeah, uh, yeah. People, people really hunger to feel dogmatic about things. So it's very easy to prey on that side of people. And, and a lot of good people are falling for it, right? Uh, because they're living in this physical, humanistic world. Because we've traded science for scientism. Science, yep. you know, you hear follow the science all the time. Follow the science. But people like Dr. Fauci say follow the science unquestioningly. Don't question me. I'm science. Yeah. I am well, the science. science. <laughs> they just mean humans can decide what is scientific fact and what isn't. And you should take it unquestioningly. And you're right with Jesus, none of the things he did were through coercion. So if people in America want to live in a collective, great, go for it. it when you have a free country, no one will stop you. It, it's again, always the opposite. It's the utopia at the point of a gun. That's what they're really going for. And that's what, it's always good people who fall for, for this stuff which is why we can't fall for the idea of vitriol and name-calling because we're just going to further alienate the people who need to be engaging with us the very most. I could not agree more. Um, the challenge, though, with that is that in some of these things, we um, and I think you, t you do this uh, well in the book, um, while we don't need to be vitriolic, um, there is no compromise with a lot of the ideologies that are bubbling up now. And we, for so many years, we were the very nice people that were allowing so many things to go on in, you know, it, because we were sold on that idea of tolerance and, you know, okay, fine, all right, you know, do your thing, I guess, as long as it's not hurting one another. And now all of the slippery slope people are being vindicated. <laughs> and uh, and and so I'm I'm of the mind now there cannot be compromise but at the same time we have to balance that with loving these people recognizing that a lot of these people are hurting but we have to we have to call out evil for what it is yeah well again you know we Jesus was the original grassroots organizer I teach grassroots activism and how to make change in your communities I do this all over the country uh, for years and years, and um, still do it today. And you really only need to look to how Jesus did it. Did Jesus, when Jesus went out and into the into the countryside and met people, he met with a lot of opposition. He met with a lot of doubters. Did he ever once turn his back on them and say, "Well, you're just an idiot. You don't get it." No. Right. Did he ever once say, "Well"? It's my way or the highway. No, but he also never compromised on the truth. He just said what was true. And he loved everyone, whether they understood it or not. You know, uh, sometimes every now and then I get, a, I get, I would say 99% really positive messages on, um, on social media. And 
every now and then I'll get someone who sends me a message and says, you're an idiot. <laughs> and I just yeah. love it because that's okay. They can think I'm an idiot. It doesn't change any reality of what I'm saying right. because it's not about me and it's not about my ego. Um, you know, there's a funny story. If I can tell you a quick story, uh, cast your well, mind back. Yeah, wait. Uh, okay, uh, hold that thought. I'm going to take yeah. a, a quick sponsor break. So let's take okay. a quick pause and then launch into that story. Great. It's scary times out there right now. With inflation, supply chain issues, and attacks on our currency, we are all feeling the pressure, and it seems like a recession or maybe even a real depression is on the way. What impact are we going to see on our savings and retirement accounts? Well, you may want to make gold a part of your strategy. Birch Gold Group is who I trust to help diversify a portion of your retirement or convert an old IRA or 401k out of the risky stock market and into physical precious metals. Think about this. Since before the time of King David, one asset has held its value better than anything else in the history of the world, gold, and it can help protect you now. Text LIBERTY to 989898 and get a free info kit on diversifying and protecting your savings with precious metals in a tax-sheltered account. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers, text LIBERTY to 989898 and get real help from Birch Gold today. Again, text LIBERTY to 989898 to claim your free no obligation info kit on protecting your savings with gold. All right, you were about to tell me a story. Let's uh, let's hear it. Yeah, well, you know, just on this idea of, of how to engage with people and the division that we're having and how sometimes people will mistakenly compromise. They either go with, I'm going to compromise and water down my principles or I'm going to put up a brick wall and bash everyone's head against it. These seem to be the two choices, but that's not really the choice. You know, um, the story I was going to tell, I, I, I like it. I talk about it often in my trainings on how to get along with people who don't agree with you is back in 1874 were the British prime minister elections. And it was between Benjamin Desrali and William Gladstone. And back at the time, the majority of the country, there was a lot of thought that William Gladstone was the superior intellect, that he had brilliant ideas, that he was really right on a majority of things. And we all know how that turned out. Desirali won, so why? But it's interesting because there was a dinner and a woman had the opportunity, a particular woman had the opportunity to have dinner with both of these men and talk with them. And her name was Jenny Jerome. And Jenny Jerome was Winston Churchill's mother. And so after the dinner, journalists asked her, what did you think about the two men? And she said, well, when I left the dinner after having spoken with Mr. Gladstone, I believed that he was the smartest man in all of England. But when I left the dinner after having spoken with Mr. Desrali, I felt that I was the smartest woman in all of England. And mm -hmm. I think that's a really good example of understanding how to open people up so that they start to see the possibilities in themselves of your vision. And you're allowing people to come to you, not hitting them over the head with your message and with the goal of convincing them that you are right and they're wrong. So that's a, take it for what it's worth. But I think uh, we have some lessons to learn from Jenny Jerome. Yeah, well, uh, no, that's an excellent story. Um, now, my question for you is, what does that look like on social media with these people calling us idiots and uh, <laughs> going crazy? Yeah, well, um, you know, it's very difficult. I mean, I, I've, I've kind of gotten out of a lot of social media because I just don't find the conversations to be productive. I agree. And, you know, sometimes, and that's okay, too. You have to be willing to let things go and understand that changing hearts and minds is a process. Mm -hmm. You gotta be in it for the longer game, whether it's philosophically as a nation or whether it's a one-on-one -on -one with people that you run into. Um, it's not just, hi, we're having a conversation and in 15 minutes after you've heard my take, either take it or leave it. it that's just not how you're gonna win right. hearts and minds. Um, but we really are called to do the hard work of engaging people as mutual 
creatures of God who are creatures of potential. Every person is a creature of potential. So if you're talking to someone who is a far left progressive socialist, but for whatever reason they want to talk with you, you have an opportunity there. So yeah, no, I think that's, that's I think that's wise. Yeah, and and on social media. Um, because so many of these things are anonymous, so many of these ac accounts are with the express purpose just to irritate, um, mock people, um, you know, troll them. All of that is the express purpose. Um, yeah. You know, those are not usually the formats. Um, and and you know, when you when you first join one of those, like I, I had zero social media up until two years ago. I was not interested. It looked like such a bother. Um, I didn't want to argue with those idiots. You know, I had no desire for any of that. And then as, um, you know, we, we got into COVID and everything else was going on, um, you know, you had, you had one thing being said in the media. And then if you were on social media, at least for a little while, you were getting a bunch of different points of view. You were getting people who um, were being shut out of major media, you know, talking about things. So you get, so um, it was a tool to, to keep yourself a little bit informed and you could see where the little battle points were. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, you cannot spend your time arguing with people, um, because you're not going to win a Twitter argument against someone that is there just to argue. But if you are able to spend time with these people in person, you know, oftentimes just listening to them, um, yeah. most people who hate Christians, and 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 have the most um, vitriolic responses towards Christianity is not because of Christianity, but uh, or its precepts or philosophies. It's because some Christian did them wrong. Usually, a parent or a you know loved one early on, or they were abused uh, you know by a minister or something, and and um, and that cannot be overcome without relationship. Yeah, and you know. It would do us all good to remember everybody wants to feel understood. Yeah. So the person who um, is angering you because they just don't get it, they have the same need to feel understood uh, as you do. And really, at the end of the day, if you know your argument is is based on God's principles, then you have the right arguments. So you have no reason to be filled with emotion. Uh, the Amen. right argument, it's almost like, uh, you know, for me, and I don't mean this in any condescending way, but for me, I think about, you know, I'm a mom, I have two kids, they're teenagers now, but if if there's something my kids don't understand, and I know this is a principle that I'm solid on, I'm not angry with them, I want to teach them, I want to help them, and I don't even want to do it in a preachy way, I want to bring them to a place where they truly understand it and can internalize it. And that can only happen when you have a relationship with people. It doesn't happen when you're lecturing people. So, yeah, I mean, with social media, sometimes I'm on it. But I tell people, look, if you, if you want to get on social media and you want to be a keyboard warrior and it's just how you let off steam, well, then go for it. But yeah. understand what your goals are going in. If your goal is, is to debate and shut down people so you can stroke your ego, well, fine. Um, you're an adult. You can do what you want. But uh, if, if it's really to change people's hearts and minds because you want to see our country um, saved, quite frankly, then you need to sit back and, and really be a little bit more intentional about it. And personally, for me, I'm, I prefer uh, personal interaction. I like when I'm yeah. out on the road and I get to it's engage more fruitful. with people. Yeah, it really is. You can answer a lot of good questions. Um, you know, but but words mean things, and I and you know sometimes again, I'm not trying to beat up on Christians, but uh, you know, my book is through a Christian lens, right? It's a conversation right. with Christians. Sometimes what we do is we go too far the other way. Instead of being vitriolic, we say, "Oh, I don't want to be judgmental." Right? right? Who am I to judge? Well, that's how you end up with a church where you start seeing transgender pastors marrying, yeah. um, you know, someone who has some kind of gendered name I don't even know yet because they haven't invented it, right? Um, you, that's how the church becomes open to such wild compromise that it's not a Christian place anymore. Uh, and that is because people are afraid 
to judge. Well, God calls us to judge all the time. Every single day, he wants us to make sound judgments based on his God, godly, timeless principles, right? What he doesn't want us to do is be judgmental. Judgment, right. good judgment is different from being judgmental. And being judgmental is just saying, I'm going to judge you uh, in a sarcastic haughty, gossipy way in order to elevate my own ego. That's what judgmental is, right? But judgment is saying, listen, this isn't a good person for you to marry. <laughs> and here's why, because they yeah. don't have sound principles and they might not be faithful, right? Those are good judgments that you should and have. That's, yeah, and that's why I use the term discernment a lot, yep. because, you know, that unfortunately the word, uh, you know, judge judgment or judgmental, you know, um, and it's the world that did it, but the world, you know, took that... Yeah. Um, and, and twisted the real meaning of the word and twisted the real meaning of that passage. Um, yeah. and, and boy, do they love to, to quote that. And they then make it to where, yeah, we shouldn't use any discernment. We shouldn't, you know, call things, you know, evil. We should just, you know, um, be neutered in the way that we respond out in culture. Um, and and so many Christians have bought into that. Yeah, well, I don't want to, I don't want to be judge, judgmental. Yeah, that's right, you know. Um, well, and, honestly, and it's sad. Fine. Honest is kind. Yeah. A lot of people don't want to think that. They want to think kind is not saying something. But yeah. if you see that someone's arm is on fire, is it kind not to mention it? Or, you know, I don't want to offend them by bringing it up. No. Yeah. Well, um, well so, that's... Yeah. Yeah, that's what that uh, this whole transgender thing is about now, um, yeah. and I've uh, I've you know likened it to uh, because they want us to, and, and unfortunately they're they're forcing even therapists to affirm um, gender, right? So if somebody comes in with um, you know d uh, body dysmorphia, um, gender dysmorphia, um, or gender dysphoria, any of those sort of things. Um, they're being told that they have to affirm it and take them down that path by law now or lose their licenses. And uh, um, we're being attacked on that. And I, uh, we were attacked online here um, uh, because we stood up against it. We've had people on the show talking about the social contagion there and all of that. And, and we're being told, oh, we're not affirming people and we don't, we don't care about trans youth and things like that. Um, and... My mantra, you know, dispassionately has been, no, we affirm truth, we affirm reality, and we are not advocating for the abuse, mutilation and sterilization of these kids. Um, and, and you have to just continue to call it out dispassionately and at the same time tell them, hey, no, we, we love these kids and that's why we're fighting hard and we um, hate this evil ideology. Yeah, and you know, there there's so many, I'm sure, parents out there who watch your show who are having to have really difficult conversations with their kids who are in public school. My kids are in public school, and there are um, <clears throat> a couple of transgender students there. So how do you approach that? Well, you know, hey, it's just like a church. There's nowhere in the Bible that says we should have black churches and white churches and gay churches and straight churches. We are God's church. We are God's ecclesia as one. We should all come together in as a body and love God and worship God and learn to live our best lives, recognizing that every single one of us is flawed. For, for every homosexual sitting in the church pews, there is an adulterer, a straight yeah. male or, or female adulterer. Okay, so this is... This is a place where, yes, we love people. I tell my kids, no one should be bullied. No one should be denied a job. No one should be felt to Amen. be less than a, a, a human with a purpose in life. But we also don't pretend that someone's difficulties is a healthy state of mind, right? So. Yeah. If it's coming up in a conversation, if it's not coming up in a conversation, leave people alone as they should leave you alone. But if it's coming up, yes, we don't affirm that and we don't pretend that that's a healthy place to be any more than I would pretend that adultery is a healthy place to be in a marriage, right? You don't affirm adultery so that you don't offend the adulterer, but right. we're all in church together. So um, these are these are complex 
situations to navigate, which is why it's so important to be based in principle and not in the emotions of the day and moral relativism, right? Which is where the humanist uh, dogma is going to take you. So what do you say right now to the churches? Because we have them, you know, even here in our neighborhood, um, down the street from us, that um, are continuing to take a uh, the same approach that they've taken, you know, um, call it five years ago, before the, the real breakdown um, was evident. And they're continuing to pretend that nothing is happening. And, you know, pretend, uh, continuing to be that sort of seeker-friendly... Um, uh, you know, head in the sand, nothing to see here, folks. Um, what, what, and maybe you have an example or a story of where you've made some, you know, breakthroughs recently um, in getting your message out and getting some of these pastors that, that have just been, you know, chilling out on the same train track for so long. What, what would you say to them? Yeah, well, you know, there are some pastors who are under a spirit of fear, and, and some who are leading from a place of virtue signaling to make themselves feel better. Because right. if you say, look at me, look how enlightened I am. Um, you know, we have a homosexual elder now on our board and we have um, diversity and all of these woke ideas, right? And they're leading with those things and prioritizing those things, even apologizing for whiteness and all these really divisive tribalistic ideas. Um, they're coming from a place of their own insecurity rather than a place of leading in the truth, regardless of how they feel or regardless how scary it is. You know, I had a pastor, not just one, but as I've gone out and talked about my book to different churches, I had a pastor say to me, and he was so sincere. I mean, I could really see the, the earnestness on his face. He said, look, I hear you and I believe, I agree with everything you're saying. But the truth is, if I stand up on the pulpit and I talk about any of these things, 80% of my parishioners will agree with me and 20% will get up and walk out and never come back again. And the reality I have is I can't lose the membership. I can't lose the donations. I have a building fund. I have a board. It was all these earthly excuses. And at the end of the day, if you're a pastor, this is just the reality. If you're a pastor and the business of your church has become so big that it outweighs the and compromises the truth that you should be speaking to your ecclesia, then you've got a problem. Yeah. And and it's as simple as that. So we have some pastors who are in those situations, and we need to keep having these conversations for that very reason, because the only hope that our country has is when Christians partner with God as they were intended to do to uphold our inalienable rights once again and not compromise just to make people feel better. What's interesting about that, too, is those churches and those pastors have no idea that they would grow spectacularly if they started speaking the truth boldly. That's, that's the, the crazy part of it. And I think, you know, some of it, they, they, there's just, it's a fear of the unknown. You know, they built what they built. They, they look at it like they've built a business and they own it versus God does. And if they were to speak boldly, they grow, especially in a time like this. And they will get people like we have that have never darkened the doors of a church ever, that were not believers, that became believers because they saw a difference. And they did, you know, they, they saw a lack of hypocrisy on these things. Um, and that's the, that's the shame. And that would be my message to those pastors. If you are afraid you're in the, uh, of that, you're in the wrong business. You need to get into the business of God. Yeah. And even if you're bringing more people, if you're bringing woke people into the church, what are you bringing them in for? They have yeah. no, when they come in, they don't have an interest in hearing about God's view for the world or, or for certainly for the gospel or the afterlife. Um, you know, the, the late Reverend Melvin Tinker, who wrote a book called The Hideous Strength, compared America today with a cut flower. He said, we're a cut flower generation. And what he meant by that is he said, you know, uh, 
our founding was based on these certain principles rooted in God, right, and inalienable rights. When you have a flower and you cut it, you can still see for a while, you can still see the color on the petals and you can still, there's still some scent to the flower and it's still relatively um, perked up, but the flower has been cut from its roots. And so that's not going to last long. And he says, right now we are the cut flower. We feel like we're a free society, but if we don't get back to our roots, it's not going to last long. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right, and that's why we've seen what we've seen here in America in general is because we we did that, and you know the American church kind of died. Um, but what's exciting to me, um, and, and really you're part of this, is people are waking up. Uh, people are getting this message out. Um, your book is wonderful, be, really speaking these truths. Um, I encourage everybody to go get it, which actually um, this is a good point to tell us uh, how to follow you, um, where to get your book, you know, give us, give us that for the audience. Yeah, thank you. Please go to stephaniemayer.com. Hopefully you'll uh, put that up there. It's M-A-I-E-R, stephaniemayer.com, and subscribe there so that I have uh, contact information for everyone and I can push information out to where I'll be. That website has my calendar on it. Um, you can contact me to come speak to your church or your group. Um, I've recently I had the honor of being kicked off of LinkedIn um, <laughs> for daring to talk about some of these issues, and and I do talk about them a lot. But you know, eventually sometimes it catches up with you. So all the people that I was in communication with there. Now, you know, I, I can't reach and LinkedIn. Vice versa. Yeah, LinkedIn yeah. is a hard one to get kicked off of. Congratulations. Yeah, you really upset Thank somebody. You. Yeah. yeah, I was diligent. It took me two years, but it finally, I finally got there. But, um, you know, I think when we talk about the church, just, you know, in terms of, of this whole conversation, the Christians have been waking up. You're absolutely right. It's very encouraging. I believe God is is waking a lot of people up and pushing new leaders through to the front who weren't, you know, previously there. But yes. we do need to continue the conversation um, and and learn our history so that you can recognize where this history is repeating itself, even though it might have a slightly different angle. And that's happening a lot. That's what I talk about on the road. Is is you know, when I say Marxism's infiltrated every one of our institutions, especially the church. Well, yeah, and it doesn't look like the Marxism um, of the early 20th century, as you might think, but it is here nonetheless. And so we have to we have to become more sophisticated in recognizing these messages, these dark messages that are changing us so we know when we're manipulated. And then the second part is we need to have the grassroots skills to know what to do in our own communities. And more people are waking up to that. I look forward to seeing a lot more of them as I'm going out there. So I, I hope that people will connect with me on my website. It's going to be the best way to do it. All right. Stephanie Mayer, M-A-I-E-R, right? Um, yes. The Righteous Fight, exceptional book. I'm so grateful to have you on the show. This was wonderful. Thanks for sharing everything. And let's be friends. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Look forward to it. All right. All right. Well, take care. And again, thanks for all your time. Thanks a lot. Thank you for joining us on Liberty Station. Hope you enjoyed the show. Please subscribe to our show on Rumble, Liftable TV, or Spotify. Also, click in the upper right-hand corner of your podcast app to follow us and help us grow the show by texting these episodes to your friends.